uh, is moving. And now I just hope and pray that we are locked in and tuned in and, and hearing from Him. Um, this morning I want to talk to you uh, a little bit about the re-gifting of Christmas. Uh, I'm excited to bring the Word of God. I love the opportunity everywhere that I go. There's something special about doing it. Uh, where you worship week in and week out, it's, it's a little more nerve-wracking, um, but it's, it's special, and so I'm thankful. Uh, my first response when they asked me what I preach on, on December 22nd, I thought, oh, that's traditional Christmas. It's not really my thing. I love Christmas. It's the traditional part that I don't like. Um, and they said, well, just do what God lays in your heart. It doesn't have to be typical. And uh, I think that's what they knew when they asked me. It's not going to be typical. Um, so I, w- I want to talk to you this morning about the re-gifting of Christmas. And so to, to think about that, I want you to think a little bit. We all know what re-gifting is. We've probably, a lot of us have done it. Uh, I know at times in my life I've re-gifted because I f- forgot to go get a present and it was all I could do. Uh, so hey, here's something, I'll wrap it up. Uh, that's really nerve-wracking, especially when you can't remember where you got it. Um, and you hope it's not something that that person had already given you uh, that you're regifting it to. And regifting kind of has a negative connotation. But, but I want you to think about it a little bit different this morning because regifting is simply taking a present that was given to you, that was picked out for you, that was chosen for you specifically, and then taking it and giving it to someone else like it was meant for them. That's what regifting is. Um, and, and I think, in a sense, that that is exactly what we should be doing this Christmas. We've been giving a, given a gift. And uh, it's our job to take that gift that was given to us and meant for us and specific for us and turn around and give it to other people because it's also meant for them. And so that's, that's really the gist of where we're going to be. So we're going to start this morning in Romans six twenty three. I know that's a real typical Christmas passage um, but it's one that you're going to hear from me uh, oftentimes if I have an opportunity to bring the Word, because if we will wrap our minds around these things, then we will become better Christians, better followers of Christ, better servants of our communities. So Romans 6.23, real simply, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray and then we'll dig in a little bit. Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful, God, that you chose to come into this broken down, sinful world and live among people who were going to despise and reject you, Lord. And yet you did that so that you could have, or more more well-spoken, so that I could have a relationship with you, Jesus. God, I know that It's a gift that I can never repay. But Lord, I'm so thankful for it, God. And I pray that I won't lose sight of the great cost and the value of what you've given me. And Lord, I pray that I will be all about re-gifting that, not only this Christmas season, but throughout the years that you bless me with. And Lord, I just pray your spirit will have freedom this morning, that you'll move and work. And God, most of all, I pray that none of us will leave here unchanged, but that we all will grow closer to you whatever degree that needs to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this idea of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The beauty of this is that it compares two things. It compares wages and a gift. And I, I know that you guys are, are, are very intelligent, and so I'm breaking this down probably beyond what I have to, but that's, I believe we need to make the gospel as simple and as attainable as we can make it. So I'm just going to break this down. Basically what that says is that I have worked my whole life to earn a wage, and that wage is death. I have spent 38 years earning death. And that's not just speaking of a physical death, but that is more importantly speaking of a spiritual death, a separation of God, separation from God. Now, the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Amanda talked about the song, The God Who Stays. That is absolutely my favorite song right now. Um, but it says, you know, in that song, it lists everything that we could think about that might separate us from the love of God. But we, we know that the word, is, the word of God is clear. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. But don't mishear what I'm saying. My sin separates me from God, just not His love. And so I have worked my whole 38 years to earn a wage, to earn something I deserve, something that I have, uh, 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 you know, have worked hard at, and I've worked to earn separation from God. But God said, you know what, Dusty? I don't want to give you what you deserve. I want to give you something far better. So I'm going to give you a gift. A gift is something that we don't deserve, something that we don't earn, something that we can't do enough to give. It's be, we just are given it because the giver is good, not because the receiver deserved it. That's what makes it a gift. And so I have earned death and separation, but God has given me the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful for Amanda and, and Terry sharing about gifts that meant something to them. Uh, and let me, just, let me just say this. I probably shouldn't, but I, my wife hates when I say that. Christmas in America has been very commercialized. I don't know if y'all have noticed that. It's a new thing. Um, it's become very commercialized. And so when I, I want you to understand that, yes, this morning I'm preaching and I'm using the word gift a lot, and we're going to talk about presents, and, and, and sometimes those things are physical. Um, I'm not trying to make it more commercial. I want you to understand that, that even in the, commercial, the commercialization of Christmas, that if we will just have a kingdom mindset, that we can still see that even through the presents and the gifts, there is opportunity to share the true meaning of Christmas. And so I, I, I want you to think about some of the best gifts you've ever gotten. Physical gifts. Maybe it's an ornament. Maybe it's uh, a, a go-kart. Whatever it is, I want you to think about it. Because at our, at our house, I don't know what y'all call those at your house. We call those presents our big gifts. You know, I don't know if y'all say that at your house. We're like, what's my big gift? But you know what I've learned over the years? The older our kids get, the smaller their big gifts get. Right? And so it's no longer their big gift, but why do we call it their big gift? Because it costs more. Because it's more valuable. And sometimes your big gift is something that just holds a deep sentimental meaning. Maybe it's not even a dollar amount value that makes it your big gift. Maybe it's a, you know, a pocket watch that your grandfather carried. Take it to a pawn shop, you get $5. The world says it don't mean a whole lot, but to you it means a whole lot. It's your big gift. It has sentimental value. Or maybe it's, 
Maybe it's that electronic that comes in a box that's this big, and you go check it out, you know, and you're like, I just paid that for that little bitty box. Um, Or whatever it is, your big gift is the one that has the most value to you. That's how we, we rate gifts, is the value that it has, whether that be dollar values or sentimental values. And so, when we talk about, I like it. When we talk about this gift that God has given us of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, I want you to think about the value of that gift. Our salvation, our ability to have a fellowship with Jesus Christ, our ability to someday live in His presence and see Him face to face. We live in His presence now through His Holy Spirit, but to actually see Him is a gift that, that cost Jesus, everything. Um, let's just look at Romans 5.8. You don't have to turn far. Uh, if, you, if you found 6.23 a while ago, let's just look over at Romans 5.8. It says, But God commended His love, or demonstrated His love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we think about the price of this gift that God has given us, it cost us the life of Jesus. And we talked in Sunday school this morning about how not only did it, was that a great physical price that, that Jesus paid at the cross, the nails, um, the splinters, the whipping, the crown of thorns, the humiliation of being hung naked on a cross for people to come by and mock and make fun of. Not only was the physical toll of the cross extremely high, but more importantly, the spiritual toll of the cross. Because for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus, God the Son, did not have perfect fellowship with God the Father. It says that God, uh, the, the sky turned black and... and, and you know, Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, he felt what it was like to be separated from his Father. That is a, that's a price that you and I can't imagine. Unfortunately, I know what it's like to be separated from God because I have sinned and because I have earned separation from God. Jesus didn't know what that was like until the cross. When he took my sins and when he took your sins on him at the cross, And then he paid a a price far greater than the physical toll of the cross could ever ever be. Again, maybe this morning I'm the only one that has thoughts like this or has fears like this, but I'm always afraid that someone is going to give me a really great, awesome, or expensive gift, and I didn't do so good for them. I didn't realize we were at that point in our friendship that we were going to buy each other that. Okay? I, uh, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's some Christmas cookies. Uh, my bad. That's something that scares me. But yet, when Jesus died for me, when Jesus offered me this gift of salvation, He knew that there was no way that our relationship would ever be equal. He knew that the, the, the partnership he was getting into with Dusty Wright was one he was going to be cheated. Okay? Uh, you know, he bought me the, 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 the present of all presents. 
And what I gave him was very, very, maybe not even very, very average. And he knew that, and he was okay with it. He knew that I would never be able to repay him. He knew that no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I strive, I would never be able to live a life that was worthy of the sacrifice that he made. I can never do enough good works. Can't. I can't give enough money in the offering plate. Can't. I can't go on enough mission trips to even out the balance. And he's okay with that. I want you to turn over in your Bible. This might take you a little longer than, than Romans. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to see what God desires in return. Um, and I, I really, I call this my re-gifting to God. Uh, this is the situation where God gave me something and I turn around and I wrap it up and I give it back to Him. He gave me eternal life. It's my job to give that back to Him and to dedicate that to Him and to serve Him and to follow Him. So, just to give you a little background as you turn in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, uh, the Israelites had just won this, this big battle with the Amalekites. And God said, look, when you go in and you destroy the Amalekites, I want you to destroy them all the way. Kill everything. Kill everything. Don't keep anything for yourself. Destroy it all because it is corrupted. And so they go in and they win the war, uh, but yet they leave King Agag alive. And they kept some of the choice uh, livestock. And so they come and they're celebrating and, and Samuel uh, comes and says, look, what, what are you, what's, what's going on, Saul? What's, as a matter of fact, I love the way this is worded. I, I think if we really dig into the Word of God, if you are a person who likes literature, I'm not, but if you are, um, there's so much there that if you just will read it instead of reading it as a duty, but read it as, man, I want to just dig into the Word of God and I want to see it for the art that it is, and the truth that it is, this is beautiful. But, but Samuel comes and he says, what is, uh, God wants to know, what's the, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? What is, what is that noise, Saul? What's going on? I, something's not right here. And, uh, and Saul gives, gives this excuse. He says, uh, well, you, see, you see what happened was, uh, God gave us this great victory and God did, oh man, God did good. But we wouldn't want to come to God empty-handed. We wanted to bring Him something. So we kept these choice livestock alive, and we're going to sacrifice them to God because that, God deserves that. And here's, here's God's response through Samuel to that thought. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says this. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so as we think about re-gifting ourselves to God, I want you to understand that, that it is not something you're ever going to be able to repay. And you, you, you can go through what the world says you should do. To be a good Christian, you've got to jump through these hoops. You've got you to come to church a certain amount of Sundays, and you've got to give a certain amount of money, and you've got to 
tell a certain amount of people and you've got to go through enough. Listen, all those things are good. I want you to come to church every Sunday. Man, I want you to give uh, 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 your very best gift to God week in and week out. Uh, we, we need, the, you know, money is, money is, is kind of, uh, it's, it's necessary to do God's work. So I'm not, this isn't a message about, oh, don't do any of those things. No, those things are good, but what God desires more than your sacrifices, more than you coming here and doing your spiritual duty or giving a certain amount of money or doing, what He wants is your obedience. He desires obedience more than sacrifice. The world sees Christianity as outdated because we're so locked into rules and tradition and regulation that we have neglected the fact that Jesus tells us to go into the world and to share the gospel. He tells us that we're to be about His work, that we're to be loving people, we're to be taking care of the widows, and we're to be, we're to be loving on the, these children that don't have anyone else to love on them, and we're to be living a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm going to say that. I, I realize, okay, uh, I started to make a joke that maybe I shouldn't have, so I stopped. Filter's working today. I'm not afraid. I, I go to a Baptist church have most of my life. I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to live a life that is marked and evident by the works of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're to walk in His Spirit and His truth. And if I'm walking in His Spirit, then my spirit will look different than the world's spirit. Unfortunately, I don't always do that. I mess it up. I fail. I make mistakes. But that is my goal, is to be obedient not just to the Ten Commandments, but to the still small voice that lives inside of me that says, Dusty, go share the gospel with that person. Dusty, love on that person that the world calls unlovable. Dusty, give to this. It's not about rules, it's about obedience. I want you to understand that for our church, as we re-gift this gift that God has given us to our community, it doesn't matter, honestly, and some of y'all are going to kick me off the search committee for this. That's all right. Well, we can't vote on that today. It can only be one item. Okay? But in my heart, I believe that it doesn't matter who our next pastor is if we don't change our hearts and our minds as a body Because many times we come to church week after week to hear a message, but we don't even desire to hear from Jesus. We endure our time in church, and we wonder why we go home empty, and we haven't changed at all. It's because our spirit has not bore witness with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not in us. Listen, church, I love you. I say this from a place of love, but... My gift to you as a church body this morning is the gift of truth that not everyone who comes to our church week in, week out knows Jesus. Coming to church at First Baptist Danville will not get you into heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will do that. Matthew 7.21 tells us that not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of the Father which is in heaven. So, 
I believe that hard truth says that many folks across the world today who go to church will miss heaven by 15 inches. They have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but they have no heart knowledge of what He can do for them. They know that it's a good idea to follow Jesus. They've never let Him be the Lord of their life. They've prayed a prayer. They've gotten wrinkled in the baptistry. They've never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Listen, church, no greater gift that I can give you preaching a, a Christmas message this morning than the truth. That I'm concerned for your hearts. I'm concerned for you. Not because I'm not looking around saying, yep, concerned for that one. Nah, that one's okay. But some of you, the Holy Spirit's already done that. Holy Spirit's already tugging your heart and saying, Ooh, brother, this part's for you. I don't care if you've been a member here longer than I have. Have you ever surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not did you pray a prayer, but did you allow Jesus to change your life? Because my greatest fear is that I will give you knowledge about who God is, but not actually introduce the two of you. So this morning I want to introduce you to Jesus. So what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this idea What's the difference between praying a prayer? Someone told me one time that if I'll just pray this prayer, I'll be saved. Well, listen, I believe that at times we've watered down the gospel because the truth is that the call of Jesus is much more than saying a prayer. It's a surrender of your life. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And I know we're, we're, we need to move quickly. I have a lot of information here. So I don't want to write them down. You can go back and check them later. But Acts 3.19, this is uh, a call to salvation. It says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. So I want you to understand this morning, my call to you is to repent. And not just repent. See, I think we... Again, we, we twist up this word repent to meet, our, to meet our modern, less offensive version of Christianity. But to repent means that I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. It's not I'm sorry. Okay, I'll be honest. My kids will tell you that daddy doesn't like to hear I'm sorry unless there's a change in behavior. I'm sorry doesn't make it okay. But I'm sorry followed by a change of behavior tells me that you're actually sorry. That is the picture of repentance. Daddy, I realize that what I did was wrong and I'm not going to do it anymore because you say it's wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong, and I'm not going to do it. So when God says, when Acts says to repent, it doesn't mean to say, Jesus, forgive me of all the sins I've done today and the ones I'm going to do tomorrow, and it's probably going to be the same ones. So just go ahead and forgive me for the next day too, God. Repentance is, God, I'm sorry because I've broken your heart and I've broken your commandments and I haven't obeyed what you said. And God, I'm still going to fall and fail, fail sometimes, but I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to try my best to be different than I was today because your word guides me, not my heart. See, my heart is deceitful. Uh, it's a, uh, abundantly wicked and deceitful above all things. I can't follow my heart. Listen, good, good, good Christian people tell people wrong all the time. Well, just... What does your heart say you should do? Well, don't do it. Because your heart's wrong. Listen to the Holy Spirit. 
I was made this way. No, Yeah, I know. It's called a sin nature. But when I start dying to myself and listening to the Word of God and listening to the Spirit of God, then I'm on to something. Repent. Say about your sin the same thing God does. And then stop doing it. So if you want to re-gift yourself to God, then what you better do is not just give yourself back the way you are, but let Him change you so that it's something that He wants. See, God wants us to come as we are, but He doesn't want us to stay as we are. And that's my call to you. If you don't don't know Jesus, I'm asking you this morning, no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter if your, 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 your husband's going to say, What? Why are you going down for salvation? You were saved when you were a kid. You told me. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what's right between you and God. That's our re-gift to God. I want to I quickly go over, though, that's not the only re-gift we have to give. We have an obligation to re-gift to others. I believe that I have a hard time personally understanding the sincerity of someone's faith if they're unwilling to share the gospel. Because my Bible, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says that you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. It's not an option. It doesn't say, well, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and maybe God's going to call you to share that with someone else. No. It says, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. Now, does that mean that every person is called to come up here and stand and, 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 and proclaim the gospel in this way? No, that's not what it means. But it means that we should live our life in a way that the gospel is proclaimed not only by the things that we do, but by the things that we say. Um, now, I also tell you, this, this, is, this is free, this is opinion. You can argue with opinion all day long. Don't argue with the Word of God. I personally don't, don't hold to the, to the belief that some people do, that, well, I, I'm just going to live in such a way that, that the people are going to just naturally be saved. I don't have to actually tell them. Bless your heart. Now listen, I don't think you can just tell them and not live in that way. Then they're not going to hear you. If you live right for God, then certainly people will take notice that you're different than the rest of the world. But don't you think they need to know why? We have an obligation to not only live different than the world, but to proclaim why we live different from the world. I live different because God lives inside of me and He directs me and guides me. Not because I'm good. Listen, I love my parents. I think they're watching this morning, so i got to say nice stuff. No, I love my parents. But if there's anything good in me, it's not because my parents did a good job. They did a good job. And I've still made a lot of bad decisions. A lot of which they don't know about. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. But if I'm different than anybody else, it's not because my parents did a great job. It's because Jesus has changed me and is still changing me, praise God. Right? It's not because I've been a part of a good church. I believe I am a part of a good church. 
But I think there are a lot of people who were raised by good parents and went to good churches that turned out just like the rest of the world. Because they didn't ever have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to proclaim the reason I'm different is because Jesus has saved me. Now let's bring this down. This is one of the few things that has been really... uh, has been different for me and neat for me as I prepared this message is because sometimes I've, I have these, these grand ideas and this real truth, and then I get to the end and I'm like, but practically, how does this work? Like, how do, what, do we, what do I want them to do when they leave here? I mean, right? We don't just want to come here and be full of knowledge. We want to leave here with an idea of what do I have to do? What's going to make me different? What is going to take this message and how do I apply it to my life so that I can live it out. Because otherwise, we get these ideas, and then we walk out of here, and someone says, uh, you know, after, after dinner, uh, hey, did y'all have a good service today? Oh, I had a wonderful service. What did the preacher? Uh, uh, hold on, let me think. Boy, it was good. Uh, talk a lot about gifts. I don't know. It's Christmas time. I want to give you some practical ideas. How does this affect our lives? What does this look like? How can I put this into action? For myself, I'll tell you that my top obligation in re-gifting this Christmas is to my children. And it should look like personal evangelism. I don't count on their Sunday school teachers to raise them in Christ. I don't count on Daniel to raise them in Christ. It is my job as their father. If I want them to buy in to what I tell them I believe and what this church tells them that, that we believe, then I have to live that to them, and I have to give that to them daily. My regifting of the gospel to, to my children is through evangelism and discipling them personally. Not being so busy at work that I don't take time to pray with them. Not be so bu- busy building them a, better, a bigger house, buying them a better car, giving them the best technology, but giving them what cannot be bought, which is Jesus Christ on a daily basis. I was reading an article this week, and it said something along the lines, I'm, I'm, I should have wrote it down, and I, I didn't. But it said something along the lines of 10% of students in modern youth ministry go on to become productive members of the church. They go on to become, now listen, I didn't say that they didn't show up and sit on a pew. They become productive, soul-winning, serving Christians. Something like 10%. And you know what? Most of those 10% were discipled by someone outside of that youth group. Whether it be a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a church member outside of the youth that invested in them and said, come sit with me on Sunday morning and let me take you to lunch after church and let me, let me pour into you and let you know that somebody cares about you, not because we're anything special, but because Jesus has called us to care about you. Daniel does a great job with our youth. He can't do it all. He shouldn't be asked to do it all. It is our job to evangelize our own children, to disciple our own children, and then to find one or two others that we can pour into and make a difference. If you want to re-gift Christmas, then you'll find people to invest in. Re-gifting the love of Christ to my spouse it looks like putting her needs above my own. 
sacrificing myself to make sure that she is in a place where she can grow and where she can flourish and where she can use her gifts and her talents to serve God. It looks like helping her feel loved, making sure she knows she's appreciated. Things that we assume they know, but that's a bad idea. It's my job as I re-give Christmas to make sure she knows. Listen, husband, listen, wife. Regifting to my spouse looks like pursuing God with them. Not for them. Not on my own, but pursuing God with them. And continually lifting them up in prayer. I'll be honest. There's a lot of folks in this room and across the state that I have regular prayer time for. And then sometimes I think, you know, I pray for my kids, I pray for pastors, and I pray for missionaries, and I pray for... And there are times I think, man, when's the last time I just interceded on behalf of my wife? I just assume that our partnership, she knows that I love her, and God knows that I want what's best for her, but when's the last time I just said... God, I just want you to just pour yourself out on my wife. They're so close that we forget about them, that we neglect them. And I think to be a, 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 a Christian who is doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I have to invest in her. I have to re-gift to her. Regifting to the church is to encourage your pastors, or pastor at the moment, and to get involved. It's not enough to throw money at the problem. I'm asking you, church, today, don't throw your money at the problem. Throw yourself at the problem. Get involved. Work. People will see through throwing money at everything. Because for some people, that's a sacrifice. And for some, it's really not. God wants you to give of yourself. Regifting to my coworkers. It might look like being willing to make it awkward by speaking the name of Jesus to them. Personally, I've never been punched. I haven't been fired yet for saying that Jesus has blessed me or saying that I'll pray for a co-worker and then actually doing it. Because you know what? Even the ones that don't believe the way I do know that I'm at least making an effort to love them and show compassion to them. Even if they don't agree with it, I very rarely have someone say, no, 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 please don't pray for me. And you know what I do when that does happen? It's never happened to somebody that I personally know, but occasionally on the streets I've had some people. You know what I used to do? Hey, thanks, man. And then I go and I pray for them anyway. Because they can't stop me from praying for them. They may stop me from praying with them. Can't stop me from praying for them. Um, but we have to be willing to make it awkward. I make it awkward talking about how much I love my kids, how much I love my wife. I make it awkward by talking about Dumb stuff, not that that's dumb, I mean other, I'm, I'm just going to let that clear itself up later. But why am I so unwilling when the Holy Spirit says, just mention my name, oh, but it's, I'm at work and that's kind of weird and they'll think, they're not saved, that's why I got to share the name of Jesus, right? Some of y'all are with me, some of you maybe checked out a few minutes ago, I know we're in overtime, but man, I'm a coach, we like overtime. <laughs> Regifting the gospel may look like forgiveness or acceptance. It may look like inclusion. 
It may look like giving your time. It may be giving compassion to someone who hasn't received a whole lot of that. It may be giving someone a hard truth that they don't want to hear. It'll take on a lot of appearances, but the bottom line is it's making a conscious decision to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and pouring out God's love and grace through, because Jesus has poured it out onto you. We're going to close up with Acts chapter 4. I know we've spent a lot of time in Acts because it's very practical. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, and we'll shut this thing down, give you an opportunity to respond. When we talk about regifting the Holy Spirit, regifting life, regifting the truth of the gospel, we need to take Peter's approach. Here in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Says, verse 19 says, Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right to, to, in the sight of God to hearken unto you, to listen to you, or unto God, you can be the judge. For we cannot help but to speak the things which we have seen and heard. Man, I tell you right now, I've, God has saved me. God has changed me. God is still working on me. He is still changing me daily. And because of that, I, I have no choice but to tell people what God has done for me. I have no choice but to tell people what God is leading me to and what He's doing. I, it's not that I... Sorry, Daniel. Apparently, I'm a type 8 personality. Conflict doesn't bother me. But it's not that I'm looking for conflict. Okay? But I have an obligation... To share Jesus. It's just what I have. Because He saved me. Because He's changed me. Because He's forgiven me. Because He still forgives me. Listen, I strive to do it right and I blow it every single day. And yet He forgives me and I have an obligation to a God like that to share Him with other people. Because Lord knows if we need anything, it's that we need forgiveness. And we need God's love. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good your family was. I don't care. I really just, I love you, but I don't care about anything this morning other than have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Number one. Number two, if you have, are you re-gifting that gift to others? And if either one of those is no, then the altar is open. I'm here. Lots of other people here. Let's take care of business. Let's not come to church and hear a message and go home unchanged. It's not the biblical way. We apply it to our lives and we live different because of what God tells us. So if you need to talk to me, come on. I'm going to pray and we'll just have a time of invitation and you do what God lays on your heart because it's between you and Him. Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you for these people, for their love for me and for my family, God, for their, their willingness to sit and to endure uh, uh, me trying to share with them what you are showing me and teaching me. God, I pray they know that it all comes from a place of love because, God, you have spoken into my heart ways that I have not regifted you enough and that I am obligated to and that I need to do better. And, Lord, I pray that, God, every single one of us will take a real look at our lives and say, number one, do I know Jesus or do I know about Jesus, God? And I pray that if we only know about you, that we'll make you the Lord of our lives today. And number two, I pray that we'll say, God, what are you wanting me to re-gift? What can I do to further your kingdom? How can I make a difference 
And then I pray that we'll do it. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, God, and that we'll be obedient because you desire obedience more than our sacrifice. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.